and welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, Chief Executive of the Executive Connection. Tech Connect CEOs, executives, and business owners to the world's largest business leader network. My very special guest today is Lynn Leahy, an award-winning international speaker and business coach. Lynn is an experienced company director who has been inspiring and developing people and teams around the world for more than 25 years. She's worked with teams and individuals at all levels across four continents in more than 20 countries. Lynn's also a trained counsellor and an accredited mediator who draws on a range of psychotherapeutic approaches in her work. She has an exceptional track record of helping companies effectively face change. One such program was leading a major managing change program for Unilever, delivering a program for over 1,600 delegates across 19 countries. Lynn, welcome to Tech Live. Nice to be here. So I was thinking about talking to you today. I haven't seen you for a while, actually. Yeah. And I was thinking, whenever I hear you speak, I feel like I'm watching the Mike Walsh show and Pam Ayers is on, that <laughs> yeah. wonderful poet <laughs> yes. who must be from the same part of Yes, England, from the north of England. From yeah. the north Sometimes of England. Sometimes my accent is a bit hard for people, a bit jarring. And no, no, it's, it's very <laughs> soft, but it's very, it's very, it's really quite Pam Ayers. Well, we so. say bus rather than the bus. You say bus, do you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you pronounce your G's at the end as yeah. well. Yeah. So which part of England are you from? Um, I actually live now on the borders of Cheshire and Derbyshire in a, a place I fell in love with when I was eight years old. I said I was going to live there when I grew up. And it, I do. Is that right? It's a tiny um, village called Potchrigley and it's so small it hasn't got a shop or a pub. Right. So, very so what's the to point? Be in the city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got loads of woodland and we love walking, so we walk a lot. That's good. And you've yeah. just been in Southeast Asia? I have, yeah. Uh, Thailand and Cambodia. Uh, I was been on the board of a charity for seven years and yeah. I, I was just doing some workshops to support them mm. so it was great how yeah. was that it was good it was wonderful and it's a charity to support women to have an education because you they don't necessarily get an education and I just had such a fantastic life as a woman because I've had an education so mm. just wanted to be involved and met some very special people I do quite a lot of um remote coaching with people in Cambodia and Thailand. So I got to meet people I've been only speaking to virtually and that was special. I was One day I was waiting there in my posh frock and they came from me in a motorbike. So everybody <laughs> saw me Bridget Jones's knickers as I got on and off. But, you know, it was, we had fun. And you're in a posh frock even as we look at you right now. <laughs> I want to talk to you about coaching yeah. because I know that you are an absolute master coach. I've been in a number of sessions. In fact, I was in a, a coaching um, training session when I first started in my current role. So one thing that you just commented on, can you coach someone remotely? Um, I used to be slightly unsure about it, to be honest. When, you know, when we first had access to Skype, I was thinking, I'm not sure you can, but it just it just depends what you talk about. And yes, absolutely. Um, it's just in your head that you can't. Right. Um, it doesn't change anything as long as you have good connection so you haven't got the lag. Mm. It's just like being in the room with them. The only thing you can't do is give them a hug if they need it, which I know many coaches say is beyond boundaries, but I don't always not pay beyond yours. to all of that. <laughs> yes. So what makes a good coach, Lynn? Um, it's the qualities that people feel when they're with you, which are much more important than any skills. I mean, the good news is you can actually make quite a lot of technical cock-ups with skills <laughs> and still do dead well as long as people feel you being sincere. You're not put on your professional hat. As long as they feel you've got to demonstrate the only skills you need, which come out as a quality, is you enter their world and show 
you don't have to agree with the whole way they see life, but you can you can get how that's how they're seeing it, and you need to have some skills to demonstrate the empathy. But I think the big one is you've got to feel safe, the psychological safety, mm-hmm. and I call it acceptance. Some people prefer prefer the word respect, but I prefer acceptance, and it just means the person feels you're able and willing to suspend judgment about people who've been raised to live their lives differently to you. So tell me what that looks like in practice, acceptance. It's, I mean, in an extreme, you know, sometimes I work with, um, I do a lot of work, for example, in construction companies. I seem to have gotten a bit of a groove and we have a ball, but they're not in the UK historically into the kind of, you know, soft skills arena. So, you know, they're able to look back and they've asked somebody for their options. Somebody gives an option and very clear non-acceptance is they say, well, that's bloody stupid. Yeah. And so, you know, that's really kind of out there and people are now emotionally on the other side of a brick wall. But most of us are showing non-acceptance subtly and we're never as subtle as we think we'd be, myself included. Okay, tell me about that. Um, you ask somebody for an option and they give an option and again, it's not the option you choose and you go, really? And there's just like mm. this little inquiry or your left eyebrow goes whiz. Yeah. Or there's a bit of you sort of saying, you, you know, you're, that's a bit of a silly comment. And my biggest personal challenge is I was raised to have a preference to do things really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I brought from my past something that I just, for simplicity, call a hurry up driver. Yeah. And my problem was I was going, any more options? Okay, another options. <laughs> and the, the kind of the impression you're given is you're, you're too slow. You know, you just can't cope at my pace and if anybody feels not accepted by you the bad news for you is they'd ever speak to you in any depth right and so you can't be a great problem solver because you're trying to solve problems with missing information how have you managed to curb your hurry up driver um a mixture of things mostly i really wanted to because i believed in it um that could also be triggered by my other belief which you know isn't always my great thing but you know part of me wants to be perfect and I want to be more perfect than I wanted to be fast so (laughs) that kind of helped a bit but I think I've you know I've naturally slowed down but also just being on the end of it you know you you learn a lot from being coached yourself Mm -hmm. and I remember and as a therapist you have to have therapy yeah and when I've been with somebody who's kind of pushing me too quickly and my thoughts haven't been able to catch up. Yeah. You f- you start to feel with your heart what you're doing to other people, perhaps not quite as extremely, but nevertheless you're doing it and, mm. and that's when you get it with your head and you start to change. Okay, so that's one of the kind of subtle, that hurry-up driver might have demonstrated a subtle non or yeah. a subconscious non-acceptance. Yes. What are the other non-deliberate things subconscious that's a better word subconscious things that you might be doing as a coach that you need to look out for well I think actually understanding the beliefs you brought from your past is really critical I mean Mm. I I don't like doing short coaching journeys to be honest with people because you have to do some personal awareness and the reason is if you don't understand some of the beliefs you've brought from the past, like um, I know these labels make it sound too simplistic, but for simplicity, this this needing me to do things excellently or for some people they have to please other people or mm. they have to not ask for help or show emotion. You know, or beliefs, they can't make a mistake. Yeah, all of those things. If you don't understand that, that'll affect what you're doing when you're coaching because you'll be trying to influence the other person unconsciously to choose an outcome that also matches how you think people Mm. should lead their lives. Mm. And they're thinking, well, this outcome would be good enough. And you're thinking, no, there's a better one. 
you know, mm. you haven't got it quite perfect and you waste the time and you mm. stress them. So you actually have to do quite a lot of self-awareness to become a really good coach to understand how your view of the world's getting in the way. Mm. How important is it to understand what the coachee's view of the world is, what their stuff that they're bringing to their situation is? Um, well, obviously, you have to understand it to help them solve problems. If you've got the qualities, you don't have to get all the detail. So mm -hmm. uh, I think the most important skill, if, you, if we actually move to skills, is paraphrasing. Yes. And in my experience, some coaches don't do as well as they could because they spend far too much time trying to think about the next insightful question. They can ask this person to help them see the light. And they've not yet really got coaching because you as a coach don't know what the light is. Mm -hmm. And so if you're unconsciously trying to guide them to the light, you're already way off track. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you actually paraphrase almost every time they speak the detail, what I call what they communicate, not just what they say, mm -hmm. you often don't have to ask another question. Because if they feel like you've entered their world and taken their training, meaning they get excited, and they just tell you a bit more and you start to get all the information on the table that you need. So... I, I personally don't think you can coach without paraphrasing profoundly and often and in detail. You could do something useful. I just don't think it'd be coaching. Paraphrasing, yeah. it's certainly not robotically just saying back to them what they've said to you. No. And you just said something about paraphrasing their whole communication. Yeah. So tell me how that would work. Well, sometimes, I mean, it, it, there's some cultural issues here, but most people, for example, in, in my own culture, we don't put our emotions into words. The French are more likely, for example, to put their emotions into words. So I wouldn't tell you that I'm worried, but the way I'm talking to you, it'll be coming through my tone of voice and body language. And or, your face right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Or I wouldn't tell you that I'm seething, but the way I'm telling you, you'll pick it up. And so when you paraphrase, you're not repeating what somebody said like a parrot. Mm. You can use a few words they've used, but you must use some others to show that you've processed it and mm -hmm. taken their meaning. But you're also communicating back their emotions, which were not put into words. Okay. So if you had me in front of you mm. and I was and you could see that I was seething. Yeah. I'd probably say I'm seething. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably swear at you first. <laughs> but if you could see that I was seething and you could hear it from my voice or maybe what I've said, how would you then play back that to me? I didn't play it back as an inquiry, as an in question. So I'd be sort of say, you know, the impression I've got is that's, that's really ticked you off. Or I'd try to get the level of emotion right, but I'm still asking you, have I got it right? And I think one of the big other problems that people who are new to coaching is they sometimes are shooting themselves in the foot because they believe they're an astute reader of body language. Okay. And to be a great coach, you have to believe you're not an astute reader of yeah. body language and you therefore phrase everything as though you could be wrong. So it's like, you know, it's like I'm picking this up. Is this what, what's happening? Now, if I'm right and you feel safe enough to acknowledge your own emotions, you'll think I'm really clever. Mm. And you'll go, yeah, it's absolutely like that. Sometimes I'm right and you're not ready yourself to face the emotion and me trying to force you to face it is just going to, break the connection between us so sometimes I just got to let it go anyway mm. but the biggest problem is sometimes you're just wrong and I've had some wonderful examples of how wrong I can be mm. um, reading emotion and as long as you then just say you know I'll say is, is this how you're feeling and they go no this and that this is how I'm feeling they often then put it into words yeah. 
Um, and as long as I just say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Mm. Most people will forgive you. They just hate, they hate you thinking you know, you think you know them better than they know themselves. Mm. It's kind of irritating when someone's getting yeah. you wrong, isn't it? Yeah. yeah and that's is. going to get in the way. And then we just, we, we disengage from them. Mm. A, a kind of introductory question at this point, mm. what's the purpose of coaching? Coaching is helping people create some time to stop running on the hamster wheel and do one of two things, if I keep it very simple. One is just think about issues that they've got to make decisions on Mm -hmm. and clear the time and space and create a process that means they can just look at all their options before they make a decision and be sure they're choosing an option that's taken into account as much information as is available and it will fit their style and personality. So mm-hmm. you don't give advice. That's the big thing. Some mm-hmm. people think they're coaching and they're just giving advice. And mm. advice isn't wrong. It's just not coaching. Mm. Um, or sometimes you're taking them around Kolb's learning cycle, which is just a really simple model for continuous improvement. So I, I had a mentor for many years and I'd sometimes go along and I'd think, oh, I've got nothing that's worrying me. There's nothing to talk through. And sometimes I was wrong. My jaws wouldn't stop operating for the hour and a half because it was all kind of you know, pushback. <laughs> it's there. Yeah. <laughs> But sometimes I was right, you know, there wasn't anything pressing. And then she'd always take my own Kolb's learning cycle. And when we were building trust initially, she'd help me do it on something positive because it takes, uh, you have to have deep trust to make yourself very vulnerable with somebody. Mm-hmm. So she'd say, tell me about something that's gone really well since I last saw you, Lynn. Yeah. And it's quite nice sharing something that's gone yeah. well. But she's not doing it just so I can kind of go, oh, wasn't that wonderful. She she uses a process to help me identify what I had control over that if I repeat, seems to have contributed to that going particularly well. Mm. And often people, they don't know what the natural strengths are. And if they don't know what the natural strengths are, they forget to do it, particularly when they get under pressure. Mm. And so that helped me put to the forefront Reinforces it. Yeah. yeah, you think, don't forget to do that, Lynn. Yeah, you really have got to make sure you set the ground. Yes, you, you know. Mm. But then once we had a lot of trust, she'd say, tell me about something that's not gone so well since I saw you, Lynn. And you think, oh, do I want to set off the stress one through memory? Mm. Um, but because I feel safe with her, I say, yeah, I was really disappointed. This didn't go as well as I hoped. And she helps me do two things. One is she helps me work out whether I had control over not or something and really challenges you on that because it's mm. easy to say, oh, Things like, oh, well, it was the room. You know, I had no control over the room. And she's saying, are you sure? You know, what what Mm. could you have done that Mm. might have meant they really understood why you needed that space? And you start thinking... Oh, yeah, maybe maybe, maybe it was me after all. <laughs> yeah, Hard absolutely. to believe that it might have been me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But equally, um, because I have a tendency to feel anxious if I've made mistakes because of this kind of mm. be perfect driver, she also helps me get myself in balance because if somebody with a be perfect driver has made a mistake, just keep thinking about that. And sometimes she'll just say, oh, what did you do right today? And mm. I'll think, well, yeah, obviously I should have done a lot right, but I want to worry about the bit I've got wrong, yeah. which isn't helping my own psyche. Yeah. Um, so, she, you know, I think that coaching is about helping people continue to improve and problem solve in ways that fit their personality. So is that Cobb's learning cycle? Yeah. Just give us a 
quick definition of what that is? So basically, it's um, if we take any action, yeah. the only way we're going to improve is if we then create some time to reflect back on what we did. Mm. And if you've got some feedback coming in from people who are part of it, that obviously helps, but self-reflection can still be good enough. Mm. And the point of that reflection is to work out what you had control over that went really well, mm-hmm. so you know to carry on doing it, and what you had control over that didn't go so well. Yep. That allows you then to theorize, which is where the coaching really comes in, to brainstorm all the options. Okay, if that didn't go well, what are all the options you've got to instead of that? And that's where you look at all the pros and cons of each option and then grow model from coaching, pushing to say, okay, so which of these options will you take? What will you do? Mm-hmm. Checking out you seem to have the will to do it because of the way you, whether you've mm. kind of got the energy. Um, and that helps you create to pragmatize, create a pragmatic plan, which means that the next time you take ICL, you go back into the cycle. Mm. You consciously know that I'm going to carry on doing this, but instead of that, I'm going to try that. And if you keep going around the cycle, you get better. And you better. get better and better. Mm. I I really like that. What did you have control over that you did well? Yeah. What a great place to start. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. Some people would find that hard though, wouldn't they? If someone's really low, they might find it hard to say, I did this well. Well, I think that's one of the key things that, you know, if I wanted to give another message about coaching, it would be, I think your primary task when you're a coach is to help people recognize their strengths. Mm. And, and, and some people don't do that enough. They want to get straight to what you could get better at. And that doesn't help anybody's psyche. And... Once you help somebody see the strengths, you've then earned the right mm. to maybe help them think about things they need to do better. And, and I had, um, I mean, I'll, I'll change the name, but um, when I was working with um, a young woman in Malaysia and um, I thought she was an astonishing young woman. And at one point I said, as part of our, our coaching work, you know, what are your strengths? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, can you guess? And she spent ages trying to find these strengths. And then she finally looked slightly distressed. And she said, I'm not being difficult, Lynn, but nobody's ever told me I've got any strengths. I have no idea what my strengths are. She was Chinese, Malaysian, so mm. some cultural norms. And so part of your job as a coach is just to speak the truth of what you see, not what anybody else has told you. You, me, talk. Mm. It's called immediacy. So I just said, okay, um, if, you know, it sounds like you, perhaps you don't know your strengths, understand that. So I'll just tell you what my opinion is. And of course, it is only my opinion, but I've seen you in many situations over the last four months. So I started to list all the strengths and she started to cry. She couldn't stop crying. Mm. And she told me later that she was, you know, within about a week of ha- handing in a notice. Mm. She thought she couldn't do it. And then when she reflected on what I'd said, the way I told her she believed me. Mm. And it had helped her realise she could do a job. And, and not only is that fabulous, but just to see how many fabulous people kind of get lost was she sent me an email last Christmas and I encourage people to be a big head with me. I say, if you pop me a family, <laughs> you've got to be a big head. And she said, you're one of the few people in the world with whom I can be a big head, Lynn. Mm. So I thought I would tell you that she'd just done the highest level of exams in her area of her industry. Mm-hmm. And she said, Lynn, they've told me I didn't just get the highest score anybody in Malaysia's ever got. Apparently, I've got the highest score ever in the world. Wow. And this woman could have given the job up because yeah. she didn't know what she was doing. Right? Yeah. So, you, you know, the hardest skill of coaching is challenge. And your primary task is to challenge somebody to recognize their strengths. But sometimes you do have to challenge them to realize that some of their behaviors might not be serving them well. But you first see if they can challenge themselves. Mm. 
because it doesn't hurt us as much to voice a negative about ourselves as have somebody smack us in the face with it. How do you get someone to challenge themselves? Um, Often just some of the question I might just say, you know, with hindsight, how could you have approached it differently or... What do you imagine you need to work on to be an even better leader? I'm just seeing if it's what I call in the box or out of the box. And I only give somebody one chance to challenge themselves or it looks manipulative. And if they don't seem to have that awareness and it's it's a repetitive behavior that they I've seen constantly. Yes. Just one off. Yeah. Um, I just I just pause and think, have I earned the right? Because you've also got to earn the right to confront people about Mm -hmm. behaviors that may be not serving them well. And you earn the right by seeing the strengths, by being open to criticizing, criticism yourself and courting it. And that's a really mm. big leadership issue, modeling that you don't think you're perfect. And by acceptance, you know, mm. they feel like you you won't think less of them just because they're not perfect. Yep. And if I've earned the right, sometimes I just say, um, okay, well, I've not seen you as the person, but, you know, maybe I've tried to get them to challenge themselves. They're talking about a relationship issue, yes. and I say, okay, that's what the other person's done. You know, I've, I've used empathy to show that I've understood how it's mm. affected them. And I might say, but we can't change anybody else's behavior. We could role-play ways to influence them, but whatever we do, there's no guarantee they're going to change. So you're the only person you've got control of. Can you think of anything you're doing that might be getting in the way of this being a fabulous mm. relationship? And you can see people almost like step back. It's like, you know, he's saying it's my fault. Yeah. And I just say, I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. I'm just saying, we, you know, we've got to stay focused on what you've got, what you've got control over and we, we can't make them behave differently. And if they don't know, I for a very common one might be, I might say, well, okay, one of the things that I've noticed when we're together is if I say something which you feel is a criticism, you can come back really sharply at me. And before I've even managed to get the example out, it's very hard for people to change the habits of a lifetime at a minute's notice. And they just go, when have I ever done that with you? Now, how you answer is absolutely crucial. If I say, you've just done it now, hmm. I've blown it. Hmm. It's like I'm going, got you. Yeah, just yeah. prove you're not okay. It has to be what I call emotionally flat. Yes. And I just say, I felt like you just did it then. Yeah. And it's just like, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. I just, it's just, it's a habit you're in. Yeah. And it hurts. Yeah. And the best tutor I, I ever had um, helped me understand that I had a hurry up driver before I even knew what a driver was. I hadn't mm. filled in any questionnaires mm. or anything. And I had a, I was going through a relationship problem. She'd sort of seen if I could challenge myself. I couldn't. And she said, well, I've never seen you as a person, Lynn, so I don't know if this is relevant, but one of the things I've noticed when we're together is you seem quite anxious about time. Mm. I thought, well, of course I'm anxious about time. I'm really busy, stupid mm. woman. I didn't, didn't know where she was coming <laughs> from, you know. <laughs> and um, so she said, and, and I'm basically saying, give me an example, and yeah. you must be able to give examples. And yes. she said, well, we've been together for about an hour, and during the hour, I feel as though you've quickly glanced at the clock about a dozen times. Mm. I said, I have not. If I'd have glanced at the clock, I would have known it was one o'clock. And, and I went into all this long justification. And she didn't say you did, so I could say I didn't. <laughs> she just said in this really relaxed way, well, that was the impression I had. You must tell the person why you're upsetting them. Mm. And the reason I thought it was worth mentioning is sometimes it confuses me. Mm. Because you're so interested in what we're doing and I get very emotionally connected to you. But then I see these little movements and sometimes I think, oh, maybe I'm boring you. Mm. And I just wondered if I had that reaction, whether somebody else might. Mm. And I didn't at that point go, oh, thank you. What useful feedback. I'm still It's like a punch in the guts. Yeah, Yeah. it's like trying to be very perfect. I'm just (laughs) illustrating I'm not. 
But the reason it worked was I felt she really cared about me. So I think it only works if you've earned the right by showing you really care about somebody. You give them a lot of time. They're important to you. And that's the only time I've ever received the negatives from people. I've always loved when I hear you the role playing because I know you're a big actress <laughs> and I love it when and it's quite disconcerting that the voice goes up and it, you've got a great way of kind of commanding attention. So I I love the model that you present which you know we've all learned in coaching that's about someone else coming up with options. Yeah. But it, but you add so many layers to it Lynn when you talk about you know the specific skills of paraphrasing and challenging and asking permission and and not making assumptions about body language and and I think that's really important and yeah something to work on. I think the other thing I just want people to know is I'm not saying coaching is the best leadership style but it's the hardest. Yeah. And the great thing is, you know, yes sometimes you do have to be a directive leader leader if there's a true crisis. Mm. When the team first forms, it's helpful. But if you learn to coach, you get two other really helpful leadership styles for the price of one. It gives you everything you need for the more participative leadership style, which mm -hmm. young people demand nowadays, mm -hmm. and for the affiliative, which is about creating harmony. Mm. And so, I mean, I, I just totally believe you can't become an exceptional leader unless you invest in coaching because it gives you these three great approaches but if that's all you did and you couldn't ever be directive, then, you know, also you, you wouldn't be at your best. So They'd you be onto your tricks straight away as well. Anyway, yeah. see you what just, you're doing. You just have to have flexibility. I, I love it. So it's flexibility. It's, it's more tools for you in your armory and the importance of coaching and leadership. Lynn, I think that was a, a quick once around, a complex and a very important skill for us all as leaders to learn and what you've helped I think is point out that you can practice and learn it and get better at it. Lynn Leahy that was wonderful as always thank you so much. Thank you it's been really nice talking to you. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time. Mm -hmm.